0: Let's turn our Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 11 through 14 is where we'll be reading. Move right along through Ephesians chapter 1, and I'm uh, going to look at some great truths tonight. As we read in Ephesians 1, uh, let's start reading in verse 11. It says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted in Christ and whom ye also trusted after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after ye believed you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his Glory. Let's bow a prayer. We'll ask God's blessings on the message and then we'll jump right in. Brother Barber, do you mind leading us in prayer, please? Father, we thank you for the time that we have to come together and to worship. We thank you for one once here. Lord, we pray that you would bless your word for the folks and preachers. Lord, I pray that one here is not saved. Be saved and you saved strength in this. All right, now as we look at verses 11 down through verse 14, uh, let's remember that we're still journeying through one very long sentence uh, in the book of Ephesians. Uh, Paul was a very long-winded preacher like like your pastor, right? Correct? And uh, so he was also long-winded in writing. Uh, He wrote one of the longest sentences that we have in literature anywhere right here in Ephesians chapter 1. Verses, uh, verses 3 down through verse 14. So if you look in your Bible and start in verse 3, skim on down to verse 14, that's one great, big, long sentence. Now, here's the thing about a sentence. Well, I'm not going to give you an English lesson, but a sentence is one thought. It, it's, it's trying to convey a thought to someone. If you want to convey several thoughts to someone, you use several sentences, uh, but that's what a sentence is supposed to do. So it's a streamline of thought and that's exactly what we find. Even though there's a whole bunch of words in it, we find this, this one basic principle thought that's being explained uh, throughout this very, very long Greek sentence uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. So we've been breaking that up into different sections, and we're, we're going to section out verses 11 through 14 tonight. Now, this entire section, from three on down, is talking about our spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ, We find that in verse 3, and I'll just read that again because it is the topic. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. And over the last several weeks, we've been talking about all of those spiritual blessings that Paul reveals to us in this sentence. Therefore, all the... the thoughts that we have and that we've looked at are all connected and woven together uh, in the last message we talked about the wealth of grace that god has abundantly poured out upon us and one of the ways that this grace was shown to us was through the redemption and forgiveness that we found in christ we see that in verse seven if you skip on down with me there it says in whom we have what Redemption. I've seen a few of you were following with me. Some of you weren't, were you? Uh, and then we have redemption uh, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. And so we see that part part of that, that blessing that we have through his grace is redemption and forgiveness. Another demonstration of God's grace was seen in the revealing of this great mystery to us, and that's what we saw in verses nine and ten. It says in verse nine, "Having made known unto us the mystery of His will, according to the good pleasure which He has purposed in Himself." Now, what is that mystery? The mystery is this: that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, He might gather together in one things, uh, in one, in one, sorry, all things of Christ both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. And so in this message, we're going to see yet another gift of grace as we discuss a little bit further uh, concerning the inheritance that we have in Christ. That's the next thing that we see poured out upon us and another demonstration of God's great grace that he's given to us is the inheritance that we have in Christ. Now, I want us to finish this paragraph up uh, with three thoughts from our text today. And we're going to start out with uh, the fact that we have a portion. We have a portion as we read in verse 11. Now, if you look at verse 11 with me, it says, In whom we have also obtained an inheritance. The phrase, we have attained an inheritance. Y'all see that? Y'all see that phrase? All of those words, one, two, three, four, five, all five of those words in our English language, actually all come from one Greek word. Now, I'm not going to say what that Greek word is. But I will tell you that what it means is to obtain something by lot or by assignment. It means to obtain a portion or to receive a share. Now, the word portion that that we're aware of in the South is when we sit down at the table, right? And you get a portion, and I think naturally of mashed potatoes, right? And and so Nikki, a lot of times, we will all hand our plate over, and she'll scoop out some mashed potatoes, And she'll give us a portion. And because she loves me so much, she gives me a double portion. Right? (laughs) Uh, I I get a double portion of of the potatoes. But that's what an inheritance is. That's what this word means. Is that it is a a portion that has been given to us. And it also means to receive something by casting lots. And and the lot, I'm not going to get too far into the lot, but the lot thing is a lot like flipping a coin. But with the casting of lots, you you would flip the coin and faith that whatever the result was, it, that that was the will of God. And so if you think back to the Old Testament, and you think about uh, the different tribes of Israel, and when they took the land of Israel, it says that they all gained their inheritance by lot. Moses would cast lots, he would flip the coin. And, uh, and whatever the, the coin landed on, that's the portion that they would receive. And the portion of land that they received, that portion that they got, was called their inheritance. And so this is what they would have in their family. They would pass that down through their family uh, from generation to generation to generation. Now what's interesting is, is that that portion that they received was not only true for the tribe itself. For instance, the tribe of Judah had a large piece of land in the southern part of Israel. And so the the whole tribe of Judah, that all belonged to Judah. It's like saying that all this land belongs to Florida. But then what they would do is they would divide that huge piece of land up. They would divide it into smaller pieces uh, that would go to individual families. And so those families, uh, not only did did the tribe receive a part of this land... Not only did the whole tribe receive a portion, but then each individual family also received a portion of that land. And that was their inheritance. And so as we talk about this inheritance, it says that we have obtained, we have received an inheritance. That's what we're talking about. That, that we have a portion of something that has been given to us by God. Now we're going to talk about what that inheritance is. But I want you to understand that if you're a child of God, if you're saved... You know, Christ is your Savior. You are part of a huge inheritance in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Amen. Now, as we look at this verse, it says, in verse 11, it says, In whom also we have obtained an inheritance. I want to talk about that phrase just for a little bit, because I know we've got some Bible nerds in our in our crowd today that are going to study this out and they're coming to me with questions. And uh, so I'm just going to go ahead and answer right now. I didn't mean to look at Randall when I said Bible heard, but we, we do have some. Okay. And, uh, and so if you'll notice some, some translations will word this as instead of that, we have received an inheritance. It says that we were chosen as God's inheritance. So instead of us getting an inheritance ourselves, it says that instead that we have become the inheritance of God. All right. So some will word it like this. Our says our translation says that we have been given an inheritance, that this is something that we have received from God. And, and, uh, and so the studious and inquisitive minds are going to ask uh, this right away. They're going to say, you know, which one is it? is it? Is it this or is it that? And to that, I'm going to say yes both are right now I'm not talking about which translation is right I'm talking about the truth is right because many times in the word of God there's, there's many, many times where it calls the people of God it calls them his inheritance that if we're a child of God if, we're, if we are God's people that we are God's inheritance that's just a beautiful way of, of saying that we belong to him but then on the, same, on the same side, to me, this text still seems to be pointing towards an inheritance that we are obtaining in Christ. So, this is something that we are receiving in Christ Jesus. And let me say why I believe that. If you skip on down with me in verse 14, which is all part of the same sentence, right? So it's all linking together. He talks about the spirit being the earnest of our inheritance, a promise of the inheritance that we are receiving. And so I believe this is talking about a great portion of an inheritance that we have in Jesus Christ. Now, an entire series could be dedicated to the inheritance that we have in Christ. But the important thing for us to grasp right now is that as God's children, we have a direct link to the spiritual wealth of the Father. And that's that's a great promise for us to have. Because there are going to be times when we become weary And we feel very impoverished. We feel like we can't, like there's no hope. We don't know what's going to happen. We don't know what we're going to do. We don't know where it's going to come from. We're not really sure what's happening. But in those times, we can go back to these verses and we can remember... That, regardless of what's going on on the outside, regardless of what's going on right here, face to face, we know that spiritually there's some wonderful things working in our behalf. There's some wonderful things going on. And we are a part of a wonderful heritage and inheritance in Jesus Christ. Listen, I may be poor in the bank account. But I am wealthy in heavenly places, in spiritual places. And guess what? Because I'm wealthy in spiritual places, when I have need in physical places, God is able to meet that need when I need it. Yes, we've got, he, he's got great wealth in spiritual places, but he also owns the cattle on a thousand hills. <laughs> and so he, he's got access to what we need physically as well. It doesn't mean we're going to be wealthy physically, but it means that when I have need, I know who I can go to, and I know who's going to provide I want you to notice where this link is found between us and this wealth. If you look at verse 11 it says in whom we have obtained an inheritance so where does this inheritance exist where where is this link that we have between us and this great inheritance if you'll notice the first two words says in whom or we can change that to in him our inheritance is found in christ so that's who we need to be running to in those times of desperation not only are we tied to the spiritual wealth now but i want you to also understand that it appears as though the faithful are also going to get to join in the rule of Christ. Uh, Revelation chapter Revelation chapter twenty verse six talks about the fact that he has made us kings and priests. He talks about us reigning on the earth. Those who have uh, have kinship to Jesus Christ, who who have been born again of the Spirit, who are the children of God. Those, uh, as we find back in verse 10, they're going to be a part of this rule of Christ. that one day, whether you believe this or not, one day Jesus Christ is coming back to this earth. And he is going to reign, the Bible says, he's going to reign the nations. He's going to rule over the nations with a rod of iron. And that verse that we just talked about means that those who are faithful in Jesus Christ, those who have suffered with him and are a part of this inheritance, that in that reign of Christ, they are going to have leadership and they're going to have positions of of great authority in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And so this is another great promise that even though we have some access to this wealth right now, and even though it may seem theoretic now, that one day it's going to be very tangible, and uh, and one day we're going to get to experience uh, what it means to be a joint heir with Christ Jesus. Now, not only do we have a portion, I want us to also see that we have a purpose as we continue reading through 11 on down to verse 13. Now, as people have been redeemed, forgiven, and made joint heirs with God— We find, again, the thread of purpose in our text. If you look at verse 11, it says, In whom we have also obtained an inheritance. Look at the next part here. Being predestinated, there's that horrible word again, right? Being predestinated according to the purpose of him who worketh all things after the counsel of his own will. What I want you to understand as as we go through Ephesians, that word predestinated is not a horrible word. It's actually a very wonderful word when we understand what exactly it's talking about. And so I want to kind of recap on that just very briefly. The word predestinate means to determine or to appoint something beforehand. Now, again, the problem is not in what the word means. The problem is what it applies to. And so we must, again, allow the Bible to define what has been predetermined. What has God beforehand decided is going to happen? And uh, and we see in this particular verse that it's not talking about salvation, but it's talking about the purpose that God has for those who are saved. And so it's not that we've been predestinated to be saved, but that as saved people, He's already predestined or predetermined that we are going to become something in Christ. That we're going to be something for Him. And that's what we see as we read through this verse. We're predestinated based upon what? Well, in verse 11, it says that we've been predestinated based upon His purpose. God's got a purpose that He wants us to fulfill and to complete. Not only that, but we see why he has done this. In verse 12, why have we been predestinated or what have we been predestinated to? Verse 12, that we should be to the praise of his glory who first trusted Christ. We have been predestinated to give honor and glory to God through our lives, and through his working in our lives. In Romans chapter 8, we find that God had determined beforehand... That believers would be conformed to Christ's likeness. It says predestinated uh, to be conformed to the image of his son. Talking about spiritual maturity. Now, while the inheritance of predestination are true, there's yet another factor that we must consider as we look at these verses. We must remember that Paul was a Jewish Christian who was writing to Gentile believers. Paul is from He was raised up and schooled in Jerusalem, which is in Israel. But he's writing to people who reside in the city of Ephesus, which is over in modern-day Turkey. So he's talking to non-Jewish believers. Now, I want you to notice something in these verses. First of all, in verse 11, he says, We obtain an inheritance. Now, what was Paul nationally? He was what? He was a Jew. He says... He says, we have obtained an inheritance. He's talking about Jewish believers, that we should be to the praise of his glory. Notice in verse 11, who first trusted Christ? Or actually, this verse 12 at the very end. Who first trusted Christ? Now, in case you're not convinced of this yet, he then said in verse 13, in whom you also trusted, after you heard Christ. The gospel, he says, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth. And so we, we find a pattern here that is very familiar in Paul's writings, and that's also consistent in the Gospels and in the Book of Acts. That salvation is to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. So this also takes some of the uh, the false interpretation of what these verses means, because Paul is not saying that that everybody. He, he's saying we. Who first trusted in Christ. Who were the people group? What was the people group that first trusted in Christ? It was the Jewish people. He said, we have also obtained an inheritance. We have been predestinated to to the praise of his glory. And and then then he includes us. And he says, you also have been included in the same thing. Who later on heard the gospel of salvation and trusted in Jesus Christ. There's one more important point that we need to notice and that is how they were saved if you look at verse 13 how were they saved it says in whom you also did what in whom you trusted right we're not talking about unconditional election or irresistible grace we're talking about faith in Jesus Christ through grace that God has shown us so it was by faith in the gospel that they have been saved. That leads us to the last thing. Here, amen there? Amen. We have a promise at the end of verse 13 down to 14. It says, let's just go ahead and read all 13. It says, in whom you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Now look at this. In whom also after you had believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Now, at the moment of salvation, I want you to understand something. At the moment of salvation, the Holy Spirit does three things, and it happens simultaneously. It happens right at the same time. When you receive Christ as Savior, the moment that you trust in him, first of all, the Holy Spirit regenerated your spirit. Now, before Christ, you were dead spiritually, All right. But at the moment that you receive Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit regenerated. It means he made alive your spirit. You, he awakened you spiritually. Or he, turned, he pushed the on button. And you woke up spiritually. All right? So that's the first thing. He regenerates our spirit. He recreates it. Makes it new. The second thing that happens right at the same time is, is not only does he regenerate our spirit, but he moves within our spirit. Here's the truth we all need to know. If you know Christ is your Savior, the Holy Spirit is dwelling in your body. Amen. Paul said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, the temple of the Holy Spirit, which is in you, right? Which you received of God, you have of God. He says, and you are not your own. I like the next part. He says, because you've been bought with a price, Amen. right? Jesus paid the ransom for your soul uh, upon believing the gospel, trusting in him, the Holy Spirit, Renewed your spirit, made your spirit alive, and He moved within. He has taken up residence in your life. That's why, if you're a child of God and, you're, and you start trying to live in sin, something really bad starts happening in here. Amen. Let me tell you something. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Let, let me just do this. Everybody, listen. Okay. Y'all ever get really grouchy, really moody? talking to Christians you don't know what's going on you're just overly emotional and, and just depressed and you're down and and you're just constantly uh, you know constantly on edge and you're constantly making a ruckus and you're constantly this and they just bitter and angry and stuff like that i'm going to tell you what's going on you see if the holy spirit lives within you he's not going to let you act like the devil and get away with it So what's going to happen is when you start stepping away from God, and everybody listen, I see some people talking. When you start stepping away from God, what's going to happen is he's going to start making you miserable inside. Let me tell you why. Because the Holy Spirit likes a clean house. Tell you what, when our house is not clean, everybody's miserable. I could live with it. (laughs) but there's some people in our house that can't, I'm not going to say who it it is now look so when our house isn't clean, guess who's miserable everybody in that house (laughs) let me tell you if you're a child of God, when your life's not clean you're going to be miserable and you'll make everybody else miserable around you until you get your heart right with God why? because the Holy Spirit is inside screaming that this needs to be made right. Amen. So three things happen. First of all, your your spirit's going to be renewed, it's going to be regenerated. Second of all, the Holy Spirit's going to move in. And the third thing that needs to happen, or that's going to happen, is that at the moment of salvation, he also seals your spirit. And that's what we find here in this verse as we read uh, 13 and 14. Let's look at verse 13 again. It says, In whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom also after you believed, what happened? you are sealed with the holy spirit of promise you are sealed with the holy spirit of promise now the sealing of the holy spirit can be illustrated like this before buying a house anybody ever gone through the house buying process all right so before buying a house if if you were especially if you're getting a loan the uh, the banker would require and the seller would require that you put down a certain amount of money uh, on that house, right up front, which is called what? Called your earnest money, and, and earnest money is is kind of like a good faith deposit that you put down on that house. Now you haven't purchased the house yet, but what that earnest money does, what what the earnest is, uh, is this is uh, this says to the banker and it says to the seller both: I am serious about buying this house and I am claiming this house as mine now understand the purchase hasn't been made yet everything's not completed yet but it might as well be because in your mind and in your intentions and and what you're planning this is your house and you have full uh, intentions of completely uh, finishing the purchase of this piece of property or of this house So once the earnest money has been put down, the house is reserved for them until the closing date. Now look at verse 14. It says, uh, which is the earnest of our inheritance until something, until what? Until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Let me give you another illustration of this. I'll be very quick. In mid-November of 2000, I uh, got down on one knee at the airport and I gave Nikki an engagement ring. Now, that engagement ring was costly, (laughs) right? But it also said something. It said to her and it said to every other fool out there, (laughs) she's taken She is reserved for me until our wedding day. Now, at the time, the wedding had not taken place. Yet, in our hearts, it might as well have because we were devoted to one another. And then that glorious day came, our wedding day, and we were married and everything was finalized, you know, but, but the thing is, is that uh, until then, uh, there was an engagement, but it was awaiting this, this great ceremony where uh, we would, you know, finally be married. Now, I think there's some interesting things here. It talks about the earnest of our redemption a little bit later on, at, uh, you know, there, there's some talk about the marriage supper of the Lamb, and uh, there's a lot of just really curious things that go on there, but, but here's the point. Is that the Holy Spirit, the moment we were saved, He sealed, He put a mark of ownership on our spirits that says, they're mine. Amen. And they are sealed, and they are safe, and they are saved until the day of redemption. Amen. Amen. It's a present promise of a future consummation. Now listen, the moment that you trusted Christ, the Holy Spirit, as we said, put a mark of ownership that claimed you as his own. That seal, says, uh, or that seal is there to mark you as his until a future event, and that is the day of redemption. Amen. Now listen, I, I want to close with this. Please don't be confused by this statement. We talk about the day of redemption or there being a future day of redemption uh, as if you're not completely saved right now. I, I want you to understand that. Uh, If you are saved, you're just as saved now as you're ever going to be. But here's what I want you to understand. Although you're completely saved now, you have not yet experienced the fullness of your salvation. We see right now through a glass darkly, but then face to face. There are three stages we have to go through. In salvation, First of all, there's birth. There's new birth. That's when you're justified. It's when you're parted and made right with God. There's a second part of this process, and that's called uh, sanctification. It's called maturity. As you're maturing in Christ, and, and he is making you holy, and he is separating you unto himself as holy down here and using you for his purpose, that's what sanctification is. But, but then there's a third one, and that, that's what it's alluding to here. There's a third one, and that is called graduation. Graduation. Got a lot of friends and family that, that died, but they didn't just die, they, they graduated. But you see, at that point, we put off this flesh. We're separated from the sin that, that so easily besets us and keeps us from the, the real intimacy that we, we should have with God. All that's set aside, and that's, this is where we're glorified. Justified, sanctified and glorified. And that is that day of redemption that it talks about here. Now as we close the subject of our spiritual blessings in Christ, we must remember these blessings are given for our rejoicing, but they're also given for our using. We're, we're happy we had these spiritual blessings, but we're supposed to be using them. We were not saved merely to hold a position, but to fulfill a purpose. I told you about my socks this morning, right? By the way, this last Christmas, I also got ladder, a ladder and some screwdrivers. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm not, a, I'm not a handyman. So those tools weren't given to me just to hold a position on the shelf, but they were given to me for me to use. Now, the person who gave it to me when he comes and sees that everything's not done, he's going to wonder why they haven't fulfilled their purpose yet. But the truth is we have these spiritual blessings in Christ not just so we can say we have them and, and put them on a shelf and say, hey, look at all this great stuff I've got in Jesus. They're, they're there for us to use Amen. for His honor and glory and to serve the purpose that He has for us. Listen, there's always a mission in God's purposes. And, and the mission of God is to see the world reconciled to Him. That's very easy. There's always a mission in God's purposes. But I want you to understand that in this text, there seems to be something else that precedes the the mission and that is not just the mission itself not just what we're going to do but what we're supposed to be in Christ the being always precedes what God wants us to do we have to be a Christian before we can really be used as a Christian seeing then that we've been redeemed forgiven, partakers of this inheritance and trophies of God's grace Let us commit to showing it in all aspects of life.